So then they just stopped serving him pitchers because by the time that I left, they had had double digit pitchers at that table. And there were only like three or four people at that table. Yes, but they were also redacted. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. To be fair, redacted. Held it, as far as I know. One of his friends, though, they came over to FFG. Uh, apparently, after they got done with... Redacted. Redacted. His friend rolled over to the bathroom and not... Redacted. But I think his friend, like, left a puddle. Oh, no. All over the, I didn't know the bathroom. Go there. I knew where this was going. I just... Yeah. <laughs> This is a part. This is a part of the story I didn't know. <laughs> this yeah, is one hundred percent true. I can completely vouch for it. So not a not a puddle of pee, a puddle of vomit. Uh. <laughs> so after that, they skedaddled, and like the next person in there was one of the FFG employees oh, who no. uh, cleaned up the bathroom, and they were like, "What?" <laughs> the fuck just happened here what in the absolute fuck this is cursed god has forsaken me <laughs> could have been a moment for some fantastic sitcom comedy look down uh should have banned employee strike <laughs> and I wonder if it's true do I suck like I put the sock on Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. As always, I'm your host, Nora Panzer, Netrunner's least eligible deck builder. And I'm Josh, still Netrunner's okayest player. This podcast is about genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. This podcast will not make you better at Netrunner and also will not make you a better person, though there's probably a better chance this episode than some other episodes. And we do want to note that it's not a chance to be a better person, but maybe a better player, because the player that we have on this week, you know him, you love him, the big unit 3000, Jonas. Jonas, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. I'm all right. We'll note that you're actually only the second person to ask us how we're doing. Very nice of you. We had like yeah. 12 people on after Worlds. <laughs> I know it's been a little bit of a stressful day. You know, you, you had to cut the trip to the Home Depot short. It could be a little bit stress, you know? As we yeah. know, canonically, the Home Depot is Josh's happy place, so... I mean, kind of. It lets me do things to my house. That sounds really bad out of context. You know, it lets me improve my house and like make it warmer and more energy efficient and things like that. Believe it or not, I actually kind of really enjoy that sort of thing. No, I, I get it. Up here in Boston, making your house warmer and more energy efficient. God, that's real. You got it just the way you like it. I got to go to Home Depot as well. You know, I got to go tomorrow to fix my pantry. Fun story about that is that the top shelf of the pantry broke. I don't know if you guys ever have played Burger Time, but the premise of the game is that you run over the top bun and then it hits the lettuce and then it hits the tomato and then it hits the patty and then it hits the burger. And if you get all of them there, then you get like this bonus burger. Every single shelf had just enough weight on it to collapse the one below it. And I got a complete burger bonus right there. Everything collapsed. It was the best. Ooh. So definitely looking forward to getting to Home Depot to get the dirty shells. You hate to see it. Wow. I love the comparison there, though. This is tragic. I can see it happening in slow motion, but damn the point total. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the man's pantry is destroyed, Pants. We did talk about this podcast not making you a better person, okay? Fair. Let's go ahead and turn to our intro question for the week. Jonas, you were known for many things in the Netrunner community. One of them is your pantry. We'll get to a few of them later. 
However, I'd like to actually start this episode by drawing our audience's attention to something they may not know about you unless they're in the Slack channel, Tony. You have quite a collection of animals. Could you give us a quick rundown of which animals you have and what it's like living with them? Me and my significant other, Hillary, we run an animal rescue called Otherworld Exotics, and you know I'm happy to link you guys in Slack to it. It is a rescue where we primarily take in African pygmy hedgehogs. They're not quite sonic, they're friendly, they're not even echidnas. Trendy exotic pet right now, and with that trendy exotic pet comes a lot of people who don't quite know how to take care of it. We will also take in a lot of other exotic pets as well. Right now, we have taken in eight or nine rats, three king snakes, probably the most boring animal of our bunch, two-year-old Siberian husky, Elliot, from The Magicians, and he is equally as sassy as a character. And last but not least, our African pied crow. Her name is Amelia Earhart, and she is just under a year old. That is actually a perfect segue, because the second question was going to be, we know that one of those animals is a crow. Have you ever considered recreating exclamation point CTM in real life? (laughs) The thought has never, ever crossed my mind. And, you know, I, I posted images of her to the Tony channel and stuff like that. We usually get some crow reacts and stuff like that because Mm -hmm. it's one of the better memes from Slack. That is something that I definitely will do. Crows are very smart and they can be very hard to pose. They're not, you know, extremely obedient like dogs. You can't just train them to do everything exactly as you wish. So it might take a couple of photo shoots to get it going, but it's going to happen. It's a little <laughs> off-brand for Sumscast, because I would count that as a win. It is very rare that I come on this podcast and feel like I've affected the world in a positive way. But here we are with this unfamiliar feeling. General shout-out for anyone in our audience who is not part of StimSlack. Why are you not part of StimSlack? It's probably half of what we talk about. You'd get so much more if you joined it. But if you're in StimSlack and you're not in the Tony channel, if you like pictures of pets that are cute, you should join that channel spelled like the name, Tony. Tony is inherently involved in this. One of the great debates in the Netrunner community is Team Cat versus Team Dog. Team Dog. I believe it first came up in Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Dogs rule, cats rule, or vice versa. Dogs just have that something that I I appreciate that cats just don't fulfill. I have a personal vendetta against people who say team friendship. You you, you can't be team friendship. Like, that's completely misunderstanding the question. To be very clear, Slumscast is not team friendship. We are a team. Our sponsors will cancel us if we come down one side or the other. We are totally fine with you taking a side, but Slumscast cannot fiscally afford to. We are officially none of the above. Uh... What's wrong, Josh? Oh, nothing. Now it's time for baking up Think Loaves. Interesting. I didn't realize I had said something bread-related. No, 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 you didn't. This time, it is literally about Think Loaves. We're going to talk about Slack emojis. Specifically, what we're going to talk about is what are the best Slack emojis? Jonas, do you have any hot takes here? What are the best Slack emojis? I don't know, because I've actually just pulled up Slack right now, and I'm like, oh gosh, what are my favorite emojis? What are my favorite emojis? Party Parrot's probably my number one. Tony, I have Ran. I got a case closed for when, you know, you really got to put that extra stamp of you're wrong. The Snopes check mark. Of course, I do have Think Loaf, Toast Loaf, all of those special loaves. 
kind of have to collect them. They're modern classics, I would say. Came out and they immediately changed the game when they came out. Two other emojis. I've got a head of classic doctor, Dr. Steve Brule. You may or may not know them from Kim and Eric's awesome show. And I believe it is Chameleonaire, an emoji that I made back in the 2015 days of Slack when everybody was doubting the efficiency of Chameleon in like a pawn shop deck. Mm -hmm. And it was just me and Justin Holtz. And we were the only two that were like, you know what, this Chameleon card might actually be a little bit good. And it was good. Notably, Chameleon, still the only breaker that Justin plays to this day. <laughs> Some of the ones that I consider the best are not in my most used, but just looking at my most used, several of the cot emojis, if you're not familiar with those, that's the person wiping the sweat from their brow. The classic one is cot dam, which is Obama wiping sweat from his brow, but there's also cot dog, which is that same thing, but like the dog. A bit of a lesser known cot emoji is cot bogs, which is a great way to respond to a new card coming out or scoops of any variety. Oh, so I, I should mention I have one extra one that hasn't showed up yet because I haven't used it like the past year or so, but think Rizeki or Thizeki, one of my more recent up-and-comers. Whenever you have something particularly questionable from Nisei, not that they ever say anything questionable, but if they did, you can usually put a good Thizeki there, get some, some trouble brewing. I got to agree that the Cot series of emojis is S-tier. I'm not just saying that because I am, in fact, the progenitor of a couple of cot emojis, including okay. the aforementioned cot box. Oh, really? I did not know you made that. That's a good one. Indeed. If I have to plug a few of my own, <laughs> we're going to have to bring up the Porgs here because I'm not the first person to post a Porg emoji. I'm not even the first person to post an emoji of a Porg saying something, but I would say that I've probably made about 60% of them at this point. That's <laughs> not even a question in my mind. That yeah. is a fact. The, the one that I think is my finest work of all time is the Moby Porg, which I can only fit the first half of the first sentence of Moby Dick. Cursive looking font, and it's as small as I could possibly get it to make it as legible as possible. And it's completely illegible at any size unless you're looking at the source image, which is what I wanted. I would have to say the G emojis, any of the G emojis are also great. My favorite of those has got to be, because I'm in the Food Channel a lot, Extra Eater G. Fantastic. It's so horrifying. But it clearly describes the emotion of, this is food that I want to eat enough of that my mouth is larger than my face. Isn't there a, a uh, org with the eater mouth and it's saying the eater thing and the yep. thought bubble over it? Yep. Uh, there is also that, that emoji, except the eyes are eaters. <laughs> oh, no. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's so gross. The, the lore behind that is that Robot Mascot did that to the Blob G emoji, and I was like, well, clearly something this cursed can't be confined to only the Blob emojis. So Jesus. I apologize, world. That's entirely my fault. So I was going to say the extra eater G perfectly conveys the thought of, please put that directly into my face part so I may masticate it. I think we might need to hear about this bonus loaf on the topic of extra eater G. Let's find out what we're eating next. Oh, that's a good transition. I like that. All right. So the bonus loaf pants is related to something related to Jonas. So Jonas, you have a exclamation point command on Slack now. What do you think the best exclamation point command is? Exclamation mark Tony emoji. That's a great one. The one that has a nice personal significance for me is exclamation mark blackmail. And that 
shows a photoshopped image of one of our local meta mates who had attended the store championship known as Mimosa Runner. The backstory for that is that there are bottomless mimosas at a bar at a store championship. Predictably, some people want to get all the value, myself included. So there's this picture on the blackmail art of the Netrunner card showing a person. It's not me, but it could have been me. Passed out on a pool table. Oh, no. (laughs) I think it was the second Mimosa night. And after the third one, the organizer was like, yeah, we just we can't keep doing this anymore, guys. It's all over. I can't corral like 20 extremely nerdy drunk Mimosa people who don't even know what their card's doing. (laughs) We're going to delve into some slightly more serious topics here. One of the Slack commands that exists is exclamation point ruined. And while money may not have ruined Netrunner before Project Vitruvius could, one argument that you hear is whether or not the Netrunner Illuminati ruined Netrunner. I think that that means it's time for us to enter. Wait, stop. We have Jonas on our cast. Oh shit, you're right. In that case, I think it's time for us to enter the Soy Beef Zone. Now, my question for you today on the Soy Beef Zone, Jonas, is why did you and every single other one of the comrades single-handedly destroy Netrunner to the point that no one ever played it again? Uh, uh, um... Uh, that seems like a pretty loaded question right there. <laughs> oh, a little bit. Okay. In all seriousness, though, as someone who's kind of never been part of one of the big high-powered testing groups, I am interested to hear your thoughts on high-powered testing groups like the Comrades. Do you think that it substantially changed anything about the way Netrunners played at the high level? Hmm. It made it so that it was a little bit easier to find people who were able to jam out testing games. If you're playing somebody in JNet casual, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of relevant testing data. You know, especially a lot of the decks that I build can be a little bit more frustrating to play against. If you're playing something like that, you know, you want to be able to play with somebody who will try and devise new strategies to break your deck. You also want to play with somebody who will not belabor on a deck too much. If you've already lost your breaker or something like that, and you've got an arc lockdown or something, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to play on as a runner. So you got to be able to play with somebody who can get in a lot of reps. If you're playing in versus somebody who's not in a testing group, there's etiquette and stuff like that. You don't want to just quit out and say GG or something like that. You want to actually, you know, give them a fair fight. Yeah, that's exactly the way that it was like. The year that I took King of Servers most seriously, it was me and Raja and credits at Hotmail and Mike on a team. And that was kind of the exact environment. Okay, we've reached the point. We're not getting any useful data from this game. In person, if you played this out, maybe you could enact a 5% miracle comeback and win this. But let's move on to the next one. (laughs) Are you saying that that's not a high power testing group? Because I would (laughs) beg to differ. It was only together for that one event. We'll give I mean, you a technical I, slide here. I will say, though, that the idea of like a super power Netrunner testing group, you know, New World Order or something like that, they're packed with really, really good players. Yeah. But I think that you can form a good Netrunner testing group of your own. And, you know, as long as you kind of have those same principles of testing in a good manner, 
I think that you're going to get a lot of what the superstar groups or whatever are doing too. Even though our records don't suggest it, I would actually agree with you. You can form your own group and you can actually get some results by just jamming some games and putting some thought into it. You can also form your own group, come up with this big gauntlet and stuff like that. And then at the end, the group that's testing with you can decide that they don't want to take any of your decks, not play them, Mm -hmm. and not do that well. It may be a little bit bitter that nobody really wanted to bring Asa hard-hitting news boom to Worlds this year. I was sensing some salt there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I I wasn't playing, but, you know, I kind of threw it out there as a little bit of a gift and stuff like that. People were like, "Eh, I don't know about this. It seems kind of janky. It seems a little bit weird. I guess what I'm trying to say is that even with access to people who know the game very well and who can test very well, there's a lot of other variables. And you can make the absolute right deck call for Worlds and just hit a buzzsaw of matchups that don't really stack up for you. We saw that in some of the, I would say, the banner years for Comrades. In 2017, there were about three different corps, two different runners made top 16 from that group something along those lines so like Mm -hmm. there there isn't a completely homogeneous thing either it's not like you join a testing group and you follow the will of the board or anything like that there's room for your own play style there's room for kind of the what you will do best on room two for player skill because like didn't you guys give dan darginio the decks like the night before and he gets like third Dan just kind of picked up the decks and kind of learning as he was going along. He was like, oh, you just click for credits. Oh, I got it now. Cool. The first couple of games, he was like trying to score a little quicker, you know, more hedge funds and stuff like that when he shouldn't, you know, play more aggressively. He's like, oh, no, you should just click for three. We tried to, you know, brief him as what lines and stuff like that are, but he kind of picked it up on his own. If you're a really good player, you can kind of do that sort of thing. One of the things that we find interesting about these Illuminati testing groups Illuminati is the fact that you can be on the right thing and know that no one else knows it. We actually wanted to talk about that in a little bit more depth. It's now time for Deccan Bamboozled. Traditionally, this segment is about a deck that you take to a tournament and this deck fails you and it bamboozles you. However, the deck that we're talking about is the Comrades Potatoes deck. And we're talking about in the sense that this bamboozled everybody else. Nobody except for the Comrades team saw this deck coming, as far as I know. I played at least one UK player on PU, but it was not like this deck. I still think that even the decks that were there that were similar were not tuned towards this alternative win condition. Let's run through a little bit of the history of Potatoes before we talk about Potatoes itself. So for anyone in the audience who is not familiar with the Potatoes deck, when did you play this? Running up to the 2017 Worlds. There was this gigantic upheaval of the card pool. There's Mm -hmm. no siphon now. There's no ETF now. What the hell is good is a question that many people were asking, myself included. Yeah. There was no longer an MWL. There was just a restricted list. Yep. There was no Jackson Howard, all that sort of thing. We were basically just trying to brew up something that decked people as quickly as possible. That's one of the things I'm curious about. How did this deck come about? Were there? Yeah, other- I want to know who was the cruel bastard that decided, oh, the alternate <laughs> win con of Corp is we could just 
deck you out and score Ovocados behind Kakugos. I might word it a little nicer than that. Were there Sorry. other things that you were testing? Oh, we know this is good and this is the only way I can think of to beat that. Was there this rock, paper, scissors, atom bomb game going on? The way that I kind of saw it in my head is that everything was rotating and the card that really struck out, wow, I can't believe this card is rotating, is Parasite. Not having Parasite was, you know, an atom bomb moment because then I connected the dots and was like, oh, this card, Kakugo, it's really good if you can just never get rid of it. Other things started falling into place like, oh, Kamine is pretty good too. You can't Parasite it. Just had tons and tons of subs every time you pass it. Recognizing that the Ice Suite was very good, linking that up with the fact that the Jinteki Potential Unleashed just doubles everything. Is there a critical mass of net damage that we can just continue to inflict upon people? It turns out there kind of was. <laughs> was this based on any decks in the past? Was it kind of like, oh, there is this proto death of a thousand cuts deck out there that you were kind of thinking, oh, something like that, but better? Or was this kind of, no, really, it's just Parasite's gone. We can do this thing with Kakugo and it leads us in this direction. Yeah, I don't think that there was anything could just draw from to mm -hmm. be able to move it into something that it is now was a little bit more of a whole cloth creation the deck yeah. and i was actually kind of down on it and even the day before you showed up to world you know should i play ctm or something like that maybe i should play ctm i believe it was josh wilson that originally convinced me that you can play this you know you can just manage your time wisely call a judge stuff like that mm -hmm. it'll be fine and yeah it was pretty fine were there any false starts here? It sounds like this was kind of a linear progression, but are there any drafts of yams or radishes out there <laughs> that aren't quite potatoes? What's really important was cramming all of the net damage in there. The breach domes, the snares, the ice sweep, all of that is three of you, you want to see all of that money. And, you know, we cut a little bit of money from that. The things that kind of were in flux during the deck building, I had originally put in three brain trusts instead of future perfects. The reason I put those in there is because I was extremely worried about going to time. And yeah. so if you put in brain trusts, you can do stuff like shipment from 10 and faster. Turns out that wasn't really that necessary. Runners would kind of run themselves into decking themselves a lot quicker and a lot easier than I had expected. Other than that, kind of tweaking in the numbers, Wampo reclamations had more and less than two. Arc lockdowns switched the numbers up on that as well. Tried biotic labor, that was way too expensive. Deck kind of just fell into place. And the only thing we hadn't really completely established was voter intimidation. Mm. And I think that some of the comrades did end up playing one or two of those and some did. Dean, I believe, was the one that did well with it at Worlds. Do you think that turned out to be a good call? Yeah, it was a medical. It gets rid of turning wheels, the or same old thing or something like that if you want to get rid of like a levy, but you can't do it with a lockdown or something. There's a bunch of weird corner cases where it can help you play out a certain situation. The inclusion of Lumpoa in this deck is kind of inspired. There was no Jackson in the context of this tournament, but even then, there were a lot of people that we're like that's kind of a bad card and uh, you weren't seeing a whole ton of people seriously considering playing that card but it's one of the things that really makes that stall strategy in this deck work pretty well i wouldn't say it's like a key to the deck because there's a lot of parts here that work on their own but just being able to eat those agendas to the bottom of your deck is <laughs> huge 100 absolutely correct and wampoa is 
you know, I, I guess one of the reasons why it did so well is because you can just stall indefinitely with that. Take three indefinitely. And I definitely was laser focused on that card because one of the last decks that I had built before that was IG-54, which had focused a little bit on the interactions with Wampoa Reclamation as well. Oh, being able to mess with archives at instant speed is a pretty powerful thing when you've got stuff like Breach Domes, but you've also got Obakatas and Future Perfects and stuff like that that you need to protect. There is basically a radishes, or there was that year, pants. You really have to get it. Okay, fine. This is where we link back to the comment about Dan just figuring out potatoes during round two. Oh, cool. I get it. I click for three. So a personal story here. (laughs) (laughs) I was really, really unsure what I was going to play at Worlds in 2017. I was kind of on a CTM list that was... I would say about four cards different from the actual good CTM lists. And those four cards were pretty important. And I was not feeling that great about my CTM play. So I was actively looking for decks the night before Worlds to the point where I was up two in the morning watching the Icebreaker stream. I had heard that a group of players was on this potential unleashed deck and it had done really well. And I was trying to reverse engineer this deck. Again, I would say I got about five cards from the right list, but those five cards were really important. I was on IPOs. I was on like a punitive. And I think the biggest thing was it just proved to me you can be on almost the right deck, but if you don't actually understand how to play it, it kind of doesn't matter, especially if it's a deck that works a little bit differently from what you're used to. Were you missing the Wampoas? No, I was on the Wampoas. I was not on the right number of archives. You mentioned you saw that list that did well, that everybody was talking about. So fun story. Um, One of our testing members, Josh Wilson, extremely, extremely good player, decides he's just going to pick up the deck and play it as is on icebreakers. And it turns out that second or third round or something like that, he's doing pretty well with it. And he's at table one, he's on stream. And all of a sudden he's like, I don't know, guys, I'm just, you know, I got to, I got to play it. If, if, if I don't play it, people are definitely going to ask me questions about it. <laughs> so he, he proceeds to play the deck on stream, slow roll it a little bit, you know, make a little couple of like players and stuff like that. But he ends up winning handily with it. And that's how everybody picked up on that deck, the secret deck, the night before Worlds. And meanwhile, I brought this deck as well without the future perfect. I kind of nerfed my own deck people who were in the know about the secret tech and stuff like that, and people who had slept their entire Netrunner collections, heavily rewarded that year. Heavily rewarded if they managed to figure out how to play the deck on like <laughs> It did win more games than I think I would have won on CTM, to be fair. A lot of people say, why do they call it Potatoes? Comrades, that's the name of the testing group, but Potatoes is kind of an in-joke. You play even if you're a sack of potatoes. You just click for three credits and then let the runner flatline themselves. But one of our British compatriots took it one step further and decided to go to a grocery market and pick up a sack of potatoes. They gave the comrades, they gave other people who were playing the deck, anybody who had the potential Unleashed ID that wanted it. They could swap out their fancy new ID with a lovely three-dimensional potato. And many of us did that. I think if you check the streams, if the streams are still available, um, you will see Dan Dargenio and many others playing with that goofy little potato on their ID in the top 16. 
streams of 2017. As we talked about, I was on Potential Unleashed that year and I didn't get a physical potato. And honestly, I'm glad I didn't. The reason is I tend to rest my cards on the ID, like on HQ during the runner's turn. And there is a 100% chance I would have spilled all of them at some (laughs) point during the tournament because I forgot it was a potato. The thing that got me the most was that, you know, I I had carried around in my pocket using as my ID because obviously it's not going to fit in your deck box or anything like that. (laughs) I'm sorry, that image is just... (laughs) Is that a potato in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Like the you have the you have the deck box for corp, the deck box for runner, and the deck box for potato. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So I'm carrying it around in my pocket, and um, I I, you know these these games take a lot out of you. So I I guess I must have not taken it out of my pants pocket after day two or something like that, Mm -hmm. and so I had I guess decided to re-wear these pants on the last day you know I didn't pack all of the laundry that I needed so I rewore the pants or something like that I fly out through the airport uh, go through the security checkpoint line and I grab all of the items in my pants and it I, I suppose was in a pocket that I didn't realize that I had or something like that for some reason I didn't grab it out of my pocket and I go through the scanner and this very nice lady tells me that, you know, I need to remove all of my items and not just my keys and my cell phone and such. And so I reach down and there's that lovely potato. And so I go back in, put the potato in its own singular bin and slide it through. I don't know who else is there, but... uh, if One of those TSA agents had to look at you and be like, what the f- fuck why do you what i i know a lot of people get you know a lot of flack for the deck boxes looking like bombs and shit like that but uh yeah that, that was something else oh yeah you you get cards pulled all the time if you go with anything that doesn't look like a standard deck of like 52 cards they'll pull you every fucking time like heaven forbid you come with an archer case and they they think you're you, they think you're trying to bomb a plane <laughs> it's fucking wild. It's like no, it's just it's it's cars. You mean like Magic the Gathering? No. You gotta say that. Yeah, you know, I know. Magic the, like you're lucky if they even you know mention that. One of the people that I uh, got pulled over by TSA, I said it's it's cards. They're like business cards. Why you got so many business cards? Yeah. I'm a very successful <laughs> businessman. <laughs> I have many businesses. <laughs> I guarantee you that TSA agent is still telling that story to this day. I can only hope. How did you not feel the potato? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Potato. This was like one of those bulk bags. They weren't necessarily the best, juiciest potatoes. They were just <laughs> tiny potatoes. It got lost in the shuffle. What can I say? I mean, also, hilarious. you guys are aware that there, there is a video of, um, right? Am I, am I allowed to say that name? You're allowed to say the name, but we'll bleep it out. Okay. There's a video of a certain um, uh, rival that uh, uh, <laughs> the rival decides to eat one of the comrade potatoes without cooking it. There's a wonderful screen cap of this in the deck list write-up. We're going to include that in the show notes as well. Anyone in the audience who has not seen the deck list write-up, A, you should read it because it's just an excellent run-through of kind of the deck and the decisions and how to play it. B, it includes a photograph of this person eating a potato and the look on his face 
is honestly an emotion that I'm not sure I can even quantify. Like Mona Lisa 2.0 right there. There's another bit of context that I want to give the listeners here. And another question that I have that's, I think, very interesting about this deck. And I think speaks to how good it is. So there was another degenerate deck this year that was awful and had a bunch of cards banned from it as well. I like to call it keeping theme purple onions because it makes you cry. And that was the I've never brain heard that before. That's good. So that was the brain rewiring deck. And why they had decided your teammates that this was the deck to play over that deck and why like the majority of the team had done that because Josh Wilson even said after that deck kind of leaked in Slack a little bit, but that is like hands down one of the best decks in the meta at that point. And I'm just wondering why he didn't go with it. He also was saying like, there's not really any great hate for it either. I totally forgot that brain rewiring was also a deck. Brain rewiring was definitely a known thing. And we were racking our brains, you know, trying to figure out, are people going to tech against it or not? We just wanted to be able to play something that could not be easily teched against. If you throw a Plaskreed or a a Yargo Mercs or something like that in your deck, you know, that's just kind of a guessing game. The potatoes seemed like more of a sure bet. One other thing that we had realized was that there was the one card that kind of shut down a lot of brain rewiring combo, and that was the card Da Vinci. For people who haven't really watched the 2017 stream, what the CI deck would do is ship out a whole bunch of cards to score like a brain rewiring, a show of force, and Cyberdex virus suite all at once so that you can't clot it or something like that. The tech from the Shaper decks playing clot is that they would play sacrificial constructs to stop them from purging. And so, you know, in their race to get rid of this, a lot of the CI decks were playing some best defenses. Nuke that sacrificial construct. That was the state of the known meta at the time. But if you had a Da Vinci installed, you could just leave it at zero, throw in a sacrificial construct as they're comboing out, so that even if they do install a Cyberdex Fire Suite, you can still prevent that purge. The levels that it would require of thought for the tech and counter tech is just like... This one, we were literally just scrolling through the entire list of cards and being like, does this help with SatCon or Best Defense or something like that? Until we found one. My favorite thing is your Haley. You can drop two of them if you need to. Yeah. It's the first Oh, thing. no. I actually saw you get someone with that. I sat next to you in round two, I think it was. Oh, you were there for that. Yeah, you were you were against someone who was trying to rewire your brain, and he reached a certain point in the combo turn where you said, oh, hold on, and he was like, oh, no, I have a CVS, and you were like, hold on. He definitely did that, so we rewound it back before, like, the last two advancement counters were put on. I warp in the sacrificial construct, and he just lets out an audible, oh, shit. <laughs> And, you know, he thinks for like a minute and stuff like that. He's like, you know, let me see if I can, you know, get myself out of this. And of course, you got to let him. And uh, he was like, oh, they all scoop. Good game. Honestly, it was not the sickest play I saw you make that round, though. I was sitting next. I wasn't like actively spectating the games. I just happened to see this. There was, I believe it was a future perfect side game. There was like some comment about, oh, this is important. I have a thing for this. And you pull out the, the spags size fidget spinner (laughs) and you put it under the table and sitting on the same side of the table as you it's very clear you have done nothing to the spinner 
you did not spin it. You just like <laughs> left it there and then you pull it out with your bid. It definitely worked for me. Normally I will obey the spinner's commands. The pageantry, honestly, it wins rounds sometimes. The tricky thing for us, as this past segment has clearly displayed, you are demonstrably way too good at Netrunner to be on Slums Cast. We are in potential threat of like legal liability. We might have mobs with pitchforks at our doors. We need to really ratchet things down a little bit, which I think means it's time for us to introduce our next segment. We must be fucking Nostradamus. My question is actually quite simple. What is the biggest missed read that you've ever had in a Netrunner tournament? I definitely have one one doozy of a read, I guess. And this was me playing in, I think it was a regional last year. I'm playing like kind of a homebrew freedom. It's got film critic in it. And I'm playing against one of the best Netrunner players of all time, Laura. It was by Oscar game point for her. She's got me tagged in on the ropes. And so I'm poking at HQ trying to get some last minute accesses, either get rid of a high profile target with freedom of ability or steal a game winning agenda. So I keep poking reflexively almost running through data raven, taking tags, all that fun stuff. And I hit Oaktown or something like that. I have a film critic and it's third click or something like that. And I decide to host it on the film critic. Mm. You know, I was I was that tunneled on um, being able to just either get rid of the high profile target that I know is in her hand. But one of the biggest things that she felt guilty for was that she was very aware that I would have won if had I stolen that. But she gestured, you want to host? Almost baitingly. And I was like, oh, man, no. like right after right after I realized last click, I think I did end up hitting the damage in her hand. But then I ended up dying. She drew like another meat damn. Have definitely been there. I've got one that's not really like a play mistake. It's sort of like, Jonas, what you did to that guy who was on Rewire, except it was done to me. I was doing this thing for King of Servers that year with a bunch of other schmucks called Run the Jank. We were going to play all three of the mini factions plus Professor on Runner Side. And then we were going to play Serious decks on Corpse Side. I was playing the CI Rewire deck. I was playing against B-Bloom, and they were on Haley. What we had done with our deck is we'd put some load testings in there, because what we realized was if you play out Enhanced Login Protocol and you load testing them, you can get around Clot by having installed your agendas a turn ahead of time. <laughs> and you just, and then you just take their turn and they can't run, right? We were not vulnerable to the Da Vinci satcon or having to go around satcon sort of thing. Just because when we wanted to score around clot, we would just take their turn. So what happened though was I do this, right? I install three agendas on the board. Beebloom's already got at least one agenda scored. And Beebloom looks at me funny for a, a little bit and then looks at their hand. I'm thinking that they're like, oh shit, how am I going to get out of this? But then they're like, okay, Da Vinci hyperdrivers, <laughs> do you pass turn now? I think we're back where we need to be. So I think it's time for us to move to the next segment, which is a segment that's near and dear to our hearts. We do it every week. We know it. We love it. The segment is ban or nab. Jonas, I believe you have a take for us today. Ban or nab. Game changer. Ban. Ban. Yeah, ban, 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 ban. Agreed. On to the next segment. 
another segment that is near and dear to our hearts. We know it. We love it. The bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. Jonas, I think you also have a choice for this as well. Can you run us through it? My choice is going to be Keiko. Ooh. I know that you guys really like it. It's got cute little uh, anime girls on it. and Or not anime girls. It's like an anime. You know. It's got an anime dragon. It's thank dragon. you very much. It's a dragon. I'm sorry. It's very magical. You know, magical realism. It's really in right now. Um, <laughs> but I- I'm just not really seeing it. Basically, you know, a grimoire it, that makes you a buck. It's a patchwork card. As a person who's kind of learned to play Anarch a little bit better, and uh, as a person with another Anarch console in their profile picture, I have to object and say that there are a whole lot of other Anarch consoles that you can and should be playing. Keiko, it's fun. It makes a lot of money. It's very easy to deck build with because you can kind of like say, oh, okay, control F companion. Cool, found it. All right, deck's good. But it just doesn't really affect the game all that much. If you need money, yeah, that it's definitely your card, you know, and I, I will say that it's definitely better than Patchwork. You can get a lot of good meme decks out of Patchwork. Definitely better than that. If you're playing an Anarch, you need to be able to disrupt some stuff. If I had to rank the consoles that I would play if I was an Anarch, first turntable, definitely. Maw or um, Knob, also very good Anarch cards that are a lot more game-changing. I normally take up the mantle of the person who tries to at least a little bit defend the bad card of the week that you shouldn't play. Even I, I have to agree with you, it number one has the problem that it's not turntable. Even the, the other consoles that you mentioned, even though they disrupt the game, they're still not turntable. Like turntable's just really good and it only costs two and it does something to the game. Anarch doesn't seem to have money problems. Really, for the most part, since its release, Turntable has been the best thing that you can do with that slot. But, you know, I could be convinced on Ma. I, I've been wrecked by that card, even though it costs a million dollars. And to further drive my point home, how many times have you built an Anarch deck and been like, wow, I'm at 55 cards because I put all the good econ cards in there, put in my dirty laundries and my daily casts and my pad taps and my Rezekis and whatnot. And, you know, how many times have you been like, oh, wow, yeah, you know, I, I really need to pair down all of this, you know, generous economy. Maybe I can make do with non-Keiko economy. Keiko economy isn't the best. One of my favorite things about the Keiko discourse is, but it costs two. Yes, so does Turntable. I will be devil's advocate against myself. Keiko is priced perfectly for somebody who just wants to jam that Stargate button. You got mm-hmm. that 2MU, you're good to go. But you're also an Anarch. You shouldn't have to have 4MU for all your breakers. In theory, right, this should be the best that Keiko will ever be because you have... Parasite coming back, which is an extremely high impact thing that you need room in your rig for, but that's actually just not how it works a lot in practice. It's very rare that you need to trash something with Parasite that you're not fine with losing. If you're playing Parasite, you don't need to play Hedora anymore. It is time for the closing arguments. Jonas, this is for you. We recently saw a fairly large number of cards unrotate. Let's say that you are given carte blanche by Nisei to unrotate one additional card, and if you want to make it spicy, you're allowed to unrotate that card and say that only a specific faction is allowed to play it. What is making its way back into deck lists? Please note, spicy takes are not only welcome, but encouraged. Hot take, we're going here with hot takes. Breaking news. Ooh. Put breaking news back. 
I think that it'll make NBN, you know, just that much more powerful. You know, I don't think it's that powerful right now. Having aggressive agendas like that is important. You're saying that NBN could stand to still have that breaking news, even though it just got back Sweeps Week and Sansan? I didn't know that Sansan came back. I sense from the tone of your voice, it got unrotated as you were saying. So maybe not... Maybe not that one. You know, if you guys want to make me stick with that, that's fine. But, you know, I can come up with a, a more more sensible one. Give What's me an accelerated beta test or give me death. There's no Jackson. Accelerated beta test. ABT. Yes. There's, there's oh. no Jackson Howard left. You know, we're getting rid of Game Changer anyway, so there's not going to be super combos or anything like that involved. Let's roll the dice. Let's make ice interesting again. You know, let's make people pay... 15 for a Janus and get it free. Yes. Let's do it. The best thing about ABT, it only hits ice. So if you're an iceless sports metal deck, you're just milling three cards. Yeah, you dummy. Why would you do that? Don't play accelerated beta test. One of the things that I love about ABT potentially being back in the game is the sheer amount of points you can dump into archives in a single turn is unprecedented. <laughs> Other than power shutdown back in the pre-errata days. Because you can install advance audacity away like eight points and then mill another seven. <laughs> <laughs> Melvin actually lost a regional because he... Uh fired abt when he should not have it's like a couple of months after dan had won worlds with food coats and melvin was on food coats and decided to just yolo abt when he was like six points once this one was scored and he dumped six points in archives so i I fully support this take for two reasons one this is the fun chaos that we want in the game two because melvin can do that again and i love dunking on melvin Even though he's like the sweetest man alive. He is. <laughs> yeah. cast official takes uh, Melvin is the sweetest man alive, but also we like to dunk yeah. on him. Accelerated beta test is always a spicy take, so we are glad to hear that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that does mean we have reached the end of our time here. A special thanks to Jonas for joining us this week. Jonas, do you have any shout outs you want to give while you're on the cast? Want to shout out to all of the snare bears out there. They, along with the comrades, are equally, if not more important to all of the testing stuff that I've been doing recently. And, you know, each and every one of them are the best. And the boss wash community in general. The boss wash community, you know, I have a lot of love for. It's been nice during these trying times to be able to kind of commiserate with them. One more, I'm going to shout out to the food Slack channel of Netrunner, mm-hmm. which you guys are both members of as well. It's nice being able to see some more down-to-earth creations like the stuff that we make, as well as stuff like Ed makes that is absolutely insane. The Christmas menu he recently posted, holy shit. As always, thank you for joining us on the Slums Cast. If you are not currently following us and you liked what you heard today, please follow us. If you are not currently following us and you didn't like what you heard today, we still need the followers. Please follow us. We are available on just about every major podcast outlet. If you have any questions or comments, the best place to reach us is either Stem Slack or Twitter. I will include those links in the show notes below. If you have any concerns, then good. Want to know a fun thing that Mercs does? Keeps you from dying to Mad Dash. (laughs) Mad Dash does not say can't be prevented. That card is busted.
<laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs>